Hello everyone and welcome to the August 27th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Supreme Court reversed an industrial loss of consortium case brought by the wife of an injured worker. In the case of Lafille Manufacturing versus O'Neill Watrous, a worker injured while operating a power press without a point-of-operation guard brought a civil suit against his employer that included a claim for loss of consortium on behalf of his spouse. There are limited statutory exceptions to the exclusive remedy rule that authorize the injured worker to bring suit against the employer. One such exception is the power press exception. Labor Code Section 4558 authorizes a civil action for tort damages where the injuries were caused by the employer's knowing removal of or knowing failure to install a point of operation guard on a power press. The issue before the California Supreme Court concerns only the viability of the spouse's loss of consortium claim, which had been approved on appeal by a published Court of Appeal decision. The Court of Appeal agreed that the spouse's claim for loss of consortium was not authorized under the power press exception to the exclusivity rule. The Court of Appeal nonetheless concluded the spouse's loss of consortium claim as pleaded in the civil action remained viable. The Supreme Court granted the employer's petition for review to determine whether the spouse of an injured worker may claim damages for loss of consortium pursuant to Section 4558 of the Labor Code. The Court of Appeal was reversed. The Supreme Court held that under settled principles of workers' compensation law, the exclusivity rule bars a dependent spouse's claim for loss of consortium. And now our fraud report. Two Southern California medical and health plan providers agreed to pay a record sum to settle allegations of wrongdoing. Los Angeles-based Pacific Health Corporation, which owns Newport Specialty Hospital and Anaheim General Hospital, agreed to a $16.5 million fine to settle allegations that its hospitals hired people to recruit the homeless from Skid Row for unnecessary medical procedures. Also, Scan Health Plan, which is based in Long Beach, agreed to pay a record $320 million to the state and federal governments to resolve allegations that it received overpayments from Medi-Cal. According to the Department of Justice, SCAN inflated costs and took advantage of calculating errors that enabled the company to charge Medi-Cal higher rates than the medical services warranted. According to the Justice Department, the settlement is the largest recovery ever obtained from a single Medi-Cal provider. The two Orange County hospitals were part of the criminal probe in which investigators believe the corporation paid more than $2.3 million in kickbacks to marketers to recruit patients who were admitted to the hospitals for inpatient care, whether they needed it or not. The scheme bilked the government out of $16 million in improper payments to the hospitals, allege investigators. The Pacific Health Corporation and its subsidiaries also face criminal prosecution for the homeless patient kickback scheme. But if the company abides by the deferred prosecution agreement announced last week, 
The charges will be dismissed in six years. Several Californians are on the most wanted list of health fraud fugitives in the U.S. The list contains the names of about 170 people indicted in cases across the country. The California list includes Leonard Noifor, who was convicted of health fraud by a jury in 2008 before fleeing. Noifor ran a company called Pacific City Medical Equipment in San Fernando. According to court records, Noifor got more than $500,000 from Medicare for wheelchairs that people did not need and often did not get. Noifor faces nine years in federal prison if he can be found. Susan Bendigo is another Californian featured on the original Most Wanted list. She is one of more than 40 people accused of running or taking part in a scheme that allegedly provided imposter nurses to Medi-Cal recipients of home health services. According to court documents, Bendigo was director of nursing for a Santa Fe Springs company, Medicare Plus Home Health Providers. The firm claimed it provided home care nurses for disabled children. The nurses, however, were not licensed professionals. Court records say Bendigo and other employees coached them to claim to be licensed vocational nurses if asked. Bendigo, who was born in the Philippines, was indicted in 2009 but has not yet entered a plea. Also on the most wanted list is Ekaterina Shlaivoka, who is accused of running a Los Angeles jewelry store that was used to launder $53 million in payments from Medicare for medical supplies. Many were ordered for dead people and for others who did not seek the supplies. Shlaikova initially was arrested in 2009 related to what appeared to be a far smaller Medicare fraud scheme. At the time, authorities believe she worked with two others to build Medicare of $678,000 by submitting phony bills for diabetic shoes, walkers, canes, and wheelchairs. Her $25,000 bail was met and Schleikova was released from jail. Then authorities uncovered a far larger scam. Authorities discovered Schleikova had 99 checkbooks, 151 bank and credit card account numbers, and several shell jewelry businesses throughout Los Angeles. An amended complaint against Schleikova accuses her now of 67 counts of forgery, money laundering, grand theft, conspiracy, and identity theft. In January 2010, an additional charge was added, willful failure to appear in court. Court records say Schleikova has 20 Armenian, Russian, and Georgian passports. Another California most wanted suspect was picked up in March 2011 at San Francisco International Airport. Zoya Belov has since signed a guilty plea to charges of health care fraud after working at a clinic that recruited patients to receive care. The plea was based on Belov's role in drawing blood from patients and performing electrocardiograms at a Sacramento clinic. Patients were brought to the clinic by a capper or driver who was paid to recruit patients who, in turn, were paid $100 to visit the clinic. Belov is a nurse who was licensed in Russia, but not in the United States. Court records say that on at least one occasion, Belov took blood from a clinic employee 
and represented it as a patient's blood. Belov is expected to be sentenced in November. Another member of the clinic team, Dr. Lana Le Chabrier of Santa Barbara, was sentenced in July to six and a half years in prison for health care fraud. She nearly made the most wanted list, according to prosecutors. After charges were filed, she was seized on the Canadian border with $55,000 in cash and a bottle of hair dye on her way out of the country. And in regulatory news, what appears to be a cut-down and reworked version of a workers' compensation proposal has been put into bill form and is being circulated around the state capitol. The draft appears to be intended for insertion into Senate Bill 863, a piece of legislation authored by Senate Labor and Industrial Relations Committee Chair Ted Liu. The proposal will attempt to fulfill the need for roughly $700 million in additional permanent disability benefits for injured workers and $1.4 billion in system-wide savings. Silence is largely the position being taken by all involved with negotiations, and even some who are at an arm's distance from talks that have been reportedly ongoing since October with labor and a handful of large, self-insured employers. This draft is more than 100 pages less than a nearly 300-page proposal that was being passed around two weeks ago. Much of the language addresses self-insured employers, but is still being examined by members of the insurance industry who are not privy to the changes. So far, the only group to oppose the proposal has been the California Applicants Attorneys Association. CAW claims that workers will get less than they do under the current law. The proposed reform bill has obtained a key endorsement from Governor Jerry Brown. The statement was unusual because Democrat Brown and his administration typically do not signal the governor's position on a bill until it is signed or vetoed. Legislative leaders are cautious about endorsing the workers' comp changes and far from enthusiastic about the package's prospects. Senate President Pro Tem Daryl Steinberg said he will certainly consider any proposal that raises benefits for permanently injured workers. But he added that before voting, we need to scrutinize any proposal closely and ensure that significant groups of injured workers aren't harmed. Assembly Speaker John Perez is heartened by the labor business cooperation, a spokesman said, but limited his comments to saying it's something worth considering. Also on Friday, an all-day meeting was held at the Sacramento office of the Governor's Labor and Workforce Development Agency in which supporters sought to build support for the 280-page proposal and calm concerns that benefit cuts may be part of the package. Getting the last-minute proposal through the Democrat-controlled legislature will be a challenge, lawmakers say. The Assembly and State the Assembly and Senate must act on a bill by August 31st, just a few days away. According to an insurance journal survey, more than 90% of poll takers say workers' comp premiums will rise if no reforms are made. Only 7% say they will stay the same, and just over 2% say they would fall. And if reforms are made... Nearly as many say premiums will rise as those who say they will stay the same, while 27% of respondents believe they will fall. 
Just over half of those who took the polls so far say that government is not capable of creating meaningful, lasting workers' comp reform, compared with 46% who say that government is capable of such reform. Those who took the poll also don't have a great deal of faith in Governor Brown's administration to oversee workers' comp reforms, with more than 28% saying Brown will fare worse than Arnold Schwarzenegger in terms of ushering in comp reforms. According to the poll, lawyers are the biggest problem with the workers' compensation system in California. 58% answered that lawyers were the number one problem with the system. A fourth of respondents chose fraud as the biggest problem. Also, nearly split our people's opinions as to what should be the most worthwhile reform considered in a bill. 28% say fraud-fighting measures should be considered versus 25% who say looking at ways to lower medical costs would be the most worthwhile reform considered. California is not alone in its frustrating effort to pass year-end reform of workers' compensation. There's been significant reform activity in a number of legislative chambers and a handful of states have put forth some major reform efforts that impact workers' comp payers as well as injured workers. State legislators around the country are taking a hard look at everything from disability benefits to the cost and delivery of pharmacy and ancillary services. In New York, Assemblymember Avila Simotes pushed a bill that would have rolled back one of the hallmark provisions of the Spicer reforms of 2007 by undoing the mandatory participation by injured workers in a pharmacy network if one had been established by their employer. Supporters of the Pharmacy Choice Bill included retail pharmacies. Opponents included pharmacy benefit managers and insurance carriers. The New York legislature also recently took a big step in combating opioid abuse by passing the Internet System for Tracking Overprescribing Act, which directs the State Department of Health to create a real-time prescription drug monitoring system. iStop, as it's called, also includes an educational component designed to help physicians, pharmacists, and patients understand risks and potential alternatives to opioid use. Managing reimbursement rates of repackaged drugs has been a hot debate in Florida, as it has been identified as a key cost driver in the state's workers' comp expenditures. Florida HB 668, sponsored by Senator Alan Hayes, generated one of the most acrimonious debates this legislative season. Maryland had its own mini-drama surrounding its effort to limit reimbursement on physician-dispensed drugs. The State Workers' Compensation Commission held a public hearing, accepted public comments, and drafted a rule that would have put reimbursement for physician-dispensed medications on par with the reimbursement received by pharmacies. Prior to officially adopting the rule, the commission was summoned to a state legislative committee that ultimately sent the message that the rule change was not well received and would not receive the requisite legislative support for passage. Some of the same players that offered objections to the Florida repackaged drug legislation resurfaced as debate over the proposed Maryland rule played out. Oklahoma made news as a bill moved through its legislative process that would allow employers to opt out of the workers' comp system and become non-subscribers. 
Louisiana attempted to advance a number of major initiatives to reform its workers' compensation system as well. Signed into law by Governor Bobby Jindal in June, HB 367, enacted language refining the medical dispute process and determination of medical necessity. It also created a definition for utilization review company. Additionally, two major pieces of legislation that were ultimately held for future study. They are HB 885, which seeks to outline clear guidelines for reimbursement of repackaged and compound medications, and HB 958, which would allow employers to establish medical provider networks. <coughs> Excuse me. And in medical news, job burnout strikes doctors more often than it does other employed people in the United States, according to a national survey that included more than 7,000 doctors. More than 4 in 10 U.S. physicians said they were emotionally exhausted or felt a high degree of cynicism or depersonalization towards their patients, said researchers whose findings appeared in the archives of internal medicine. Tate Schnanfeld of the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, who led the research, said that the high rate of burnout has consequences not only for the individual physicians, but also for the patients they are caring for. He added that previous studies have shown that burnout doctors are more prone to thinking about suicide and to making medical errors than their peers. Burnout was most common among doctors at the front line of care, such as those working in emergency rooms or in family medicine. Dermatologists and preventative care specialists were less affected. The author said that it's not clear why burnout strikes so many doctors, noting that excessive workloads are only part of the equation. Other possible reasons include too much paperwork, loss of professional autonomy, and a higher patient load to make up for declining reimbursement rates. And in financial news, the WCIRB submitted its pure premium rate filing to the California Department of Insurance, containing, among other things, advisory pure premium rates proposed to be effective on January 1, 2013. The advisory pure premium rates average $2.68 per $100 of payroll. This is 12.6% higher than the corresponding industry average filed as of July 1, 2012. The deterioration is attributable to continued adverse loss development, elevated indemnity claim frequency, an increase in the projection of future loss inflation, an increase in allocated loss adjustment expenses, and lower wage growth forecasts. The proposed pure premium rates do not reflect any provision for the com comprehensive workers' compensation legislation that is currently under consideration by the California legislature. To the extent legislation is enacted that significantly impacts the costs of losses and loss adjustment expenses, the WCIRB will evaluate the cost impact of the legislation and submit an amendment set of proposed advisory rates. The California Department of Insurance will hold a public hearing on the matters contained in the WCIRB's filing. It is expected that the Department of Insurance will announce the date of the hearing within the next week. Once the date, time, and location of the hearing is set, the WCIRB will add that information to its website and issue a WCIRB wire story. 
And in other news, one Fortune 500 company is already exploring how alternative pain management options can help control workers' comp costs. The Cycle Social Intervention Program in place at hotel chain Marriott International trains on-staff nurses to identify injured workers who exhibit family, financial, or fear avoidance issues that may interfere with return to work and then refers those patients to a cognitive behavioral therapy program. Bob Steggert, Marriott's Vice President of Casualty Claims, says he is convinced that they will see better outcomes on more cases and the savings will follow. He added that it's all for the better if they can avoid patients getting on the opioid pain train. Brenda Gray, a registered nurse and senior director of Marriott's Occupational Health Services Division, says they are open to any form of medical psychosocial intervention and try to provide culturally appropriate care. And that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, for past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for the WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.